Hello there and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I'm here with Pavel Rusnak, who is also known as Tick, and he's the co-founder of Satoshi Labs. He's very well known in the space for working on the Trezor, for contributing to Slushpool, and also more recent projects like Inviti, like Tropic Square and something else I'm not allowed to talk about. And today we're going to talk about both the history of Satoshi Labs, the contributions that they made, which are called slips, but they also did much more than software. And also the future of it, because there are lots of projects that we should look forward to. And this is really exciting. I can't believe I'm here. We have a painting with an octopus with Bitcoins behind us. And let's get going. So thank you very much, Vlad. It's very nice to see you in person finally. Like it's it's nice to communicate online, but it's always much pleasure on my side as well. So let me maybe first start with the history. And you you also said that I was uh, involved in slash pool, and that's a common misconception. But I I will explain uh, how this 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 misconception maybe came came to came to place. So. Uh, I got introduced to Bitcoin in uh, 2011, and it was uh, it was here in Prague when one was one of the first conferences about Bitcoin ever was happening uh, in November 2011. Maybe it was the first Bitcoin conference ever. I have never heard of any prior Bitcoin conferences, and that's where I met a lot of lot of cool people that are still involved in Bitcoin, and uh, one of the one of the people that I met there was uh, Slush and uh, afterwards there were some local meetings happening uh, uh, in Prague hackerspace is called Brumlab and uh, for every week uh, there was this small group of people and we were talking about Bitcoin and one of these people was Slush again and uh, he was very famous back then and uh, He was basically running this uh, one-man show operation called. Uh, it was not called Slashpool back then, but it was called uh, Mining.Bitcoin.CZ. So it was Bitcoin mining check uh, back then, but it was the first uh, Bitcoin mining pool ever. And as I said, it was uh, one-man operation, and I was never involved. How I was uh, involved was that basically. Slash was telling me like, oh man, this is so hard. Like I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, I don't have much free time. I can spare, uh, you know, a lot of lot of my uh, t time to do stuff that I really like. And you probably interviewed uh, and covered that with Slash. And uh, when we were having these discussions, then uh, we realized that uh, one thing is mining or Bitcoin, but the other thing is where to store it. And we, with uh, Marek, we are computer nerds and we were using Linux on our computers. And we had this feeling that we can at least try to make it secure, but still uh, holding your Bitcoins wasn't 100% uh, sure operation even for us. And we thought we really need to make it uh, very easy for regular people that are not nerdy, that are running maybe, I don't know, Windows computers, which are notoriously very bad about uh, security. 
and that's when we started to talk together uh, how to solve this problem and it seemed uh, that these uh, conversations naturally evolved into creating a hardware wallet like originally we were not hardware designers it wasn't like we wanted to create a hardware and then we were looking for a problem to solve the with with the hardware we had this really nice and concrete problem and we wanted to solve it and it seemed that hardware was a solution so we uh, were started to we starting started to meet uh, in this Prague hackerspace con lab regularly and trying to experiment with lots of stuff it was lots of experimentation experimentation for us because we were not not the hardware guys a lot of a lot of dead ends and uh, the cool thing about hackerspaces is that you meet a lot of people that have the same mindset about sharing knowledge and uh, ultimately being open but they usually have some a different background than you have so we, we met a lot of people that uh, probably were very good uh, very good designers uh, I mean in the hardware space but they were not that good maybe software developers and I want to give, give a special uh, shout out to my uh, friend uh, Sargon who taught me a lot about designing electronics and also we uh, spend a lot of time with experimenting with uh, another person you might know uh, and it's uh, Karol Kioski who was also part of the Brumla Makerspace and now he's running the General Bytes company, the company behind the IT ATMs that are solved, sold uh, all around the world. So he was also involved in the beginning and we were discussing the various design, hardware design choices and Ultimately, this led to a working prototype that uh, turned out to be really feasible for us to produce. And it was uh, around year 2013 where we were really confident that we can deliver this uh, solution to people and that uh, we can start the company around it and uh, start manufacturing that uh, in uh, in in batches that are were not like a single single pieces of device the funny thing is that uh, originally we thought there are like 100 people on the internet we know on the bitcoin talk and maybe there were some other few hundreds that uh, might buy us uh, buy this device from us so we wanted to have a run of 1000 devices and then we uh, arrived at uh, this company who was run at that time by uh, Evgen Engelbert I will talk about him later and he said like 10,000, uh, sorry, uh, 1,000 devices, that's small. Like 10,000, that's also a small batch. Like, let's make 30,000. And we were like, well, ugh, this is just so crazy. I'm, we are not sure that we will be able to sell so many devices. So we negotiated and in the end, we agreed to make a batch of 10,000 devices. But then we kind of like committed to make another batches with the same company. So we basically agreed on the batch of 30,000, but we made just one third of it. 
at the beginning. So we were really happy about the outcome that uh, that uh, there was so much interest uh, on the internet and we were able to to sell not only this batch but also the other batches and that's that's how we were able to bootstrap the company without getting any external VC funding. And uh, this is uh, something that's uh, still true up to these days. And I kind of hinted about two principles that are, I think, very important for what we do. And one of them is uh, being open source and other of them is being independent. Uh, before I started my uh, journey with Bitcoin, I was working for a company called uh, SUSE Linux. And SUSE Linux is a is a commercial vendor of uh, Linux distributions. The other maybe uh, people uh, will know uh, their competitor called Red Hat Linux, which is uh, probably a little bit more famous. And the thing with, with this... Uh, I think it's called Fedora today. Yeah, yeah. So F Fedora is like the open source version of uh, Red Hat Linux. And every, every two years they take Fedora, stabilize that for maybe an extra year and then push that on enterprise uh, enterprise uh, users. The same happens with SUSE. They have OpenSUSE, which is an open source project. Everyone can use that for free. And then every two years there is this uh, stabilization period where uh, it's being stabilized and pushed to enterprise users. And back then, when I was working for SUSE, I realized one really magical thing that even these two companies, SUSE and Red Hat, are competing for their customers uh, via their sales agents and uh, all the commercial stuff. But there was like so much collaboration between these two companies on technological level because you know ultimately there is just one Linux kernel, there is just one I don't know terminal and compiler and other other stuff you want to have in Linux distributions and we had these uh, conferences where we met with each other and shared our knowledge because that's that's ultimately the spirit of open source you can you can share the knowledge and you don't need to reinvent the wheel all the time uh, you can inspire yourself because if you have 200 uh, smart people that's nice but if you have like for uh, hundred smart people because two uh, two hundred are working for one company and two hundred for another and there are like thousand contributors outside it's even better and it was uh, totally obvious from for us from the beginning that Trezor should be open source not only. Uh, in order to be auditable, like Bitcoin, you know, this don't trust uh, verify mantra, but also to have this, uh, you know, public opinion and scrutiny and maybe new ideas coming into, into the product. And the other value I was talking about is this independence. Uh, we always wanted to be financially independent because we were afraid that if we uh, if we get money from an investor that might not be enlightened, they would interfere with our product. And once you start making some 
compromises in, in device like Trezor, it's it's never good. Like you, you can't make a lot of compromise in when it comes to security. It's it's either either secure or not. Yeah. So I kind of lost my train of thought. So uh, maybe if you will ha help me or ask me another question. that a bearish moment is coming. Also, you can instantly trade your gold for Bitcoin to buy the dip. And if you're into gold custody, Voltoro can also send you the gold that you own directly from their insured Swiss vaulting facilities. Voltoro was launched in the aftermath of the Mt. Gox hack. So since 2015, they have published monthly glass books to prove that they own all the gold reserves and all of their customers' money. Sign up today by going to voltoro.com slash Bitcoin Takeover. Keep in mind that this is not financial advice and you are responsible for your own decisions. It's available on Windows, macOS, and Linux, and it offers groundbreaking Chamian coin joins, which makes your Bitcoin. Even if you do not use the coin join feature, you still benefit from a trustless experience with block filters, a hidden IP address via Tor, and easy management of your wallet outputs. After you deal with KYC exchanges like Coinbase, like Kraken, Binance, Gemini, or Bitfinex, you can remove the association between your identity and your Bitcoin address by performing a few rounds of coin joins. To find out more about the privacy benefits and limitations of coin joins, listen to Bitcoin Takeover Podcast Season 6, Episode 6 with Max Hillbrand. And if you want to give Wasabi a try, go to wasabiwallet.io and download the wallet for free. Wasabi Wallet, a Bitcoin privacy wallet for the Citadels. Yes, so let me take this a little bit back because you mentioned two names who helped you during your Bitcoin journey. Yes. And I remember listening to an interview with Slush and he was asked directly who introduced you to Bitcoin and his response was Zuko, mm -hmm. Zuko Wilcox Ahern. Yes. He was, I think, one of the first people to blog about Bitcoin and also I, I think Slush was on the right channel to find out about it and got interested. Was there like a major figure in your introduction to Bitcoin 
who helped you understand what it is and made you understand that it makes sense? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I think that uh, I, I, I spend a lot of time on the internet. So, I mean, uh, I got introduced to the Bitcoin talk forum. I'm not sure if it was by Slash or by somebody else at the conference, but since then I spent a lot of time uh, on the Bitcoin forum and reading, not about about the technology side of things, but also the other things. So I can't really pinpoint a single name, but uh, every everyone, basically everyone who was active uh, during that era and played 2011 on Bitcoin Talk Forum. Uh, so, for example, I remember remember Gregory Maxwell then, or uh, Peter Wille, and, well, basically a lo- 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 lot of guys I can't remember. Maybe Luke, Luke Dash Jr. So it was really interesting to see all these all these different ideas. And uh, I really like when I read uh, other people's ideas so I can form my own. It's not like I j- just soak them in and, and start parroting. I want to form my own uh, form my own uh ideas but back then for me bitcoin was like totally new thing so i was reading a lot back then from this forum so before i ask you this and while you're talking you're basically telling a story of the journey of creating trezor and as it turns out you did have some challenges with the supply chains and producing at scale to i guess have the right costs for the units And I did spend some time on Bitcoin Talk to look at the origins of these posts. And I did look into, I think, BTC chip, which was the precursor of the ledger. And even in the first post, he mentioned that it's different from the Trezor because it's not open source, but it has lower production costs Mm -hmm. and uses that smart card technology. So even at the time, I, I think the perception of the Trezor was that it was like a luxury item. It was considered to be expensive as compared to the others, but right now it's fine to spend like $200 on a hardware wallet and people are fine with it because they understand why what it's for and they value, I guess, the Bitcoins much more. Whereas in the early days, there were lots of people holding their coins in hot wallets and they did not care too much if they were hacked because I guess it was not their entire savings or something. So did you envision at any point during the development of the Trezor that the importance would be this great and that everyone is going to end up to a point where they're going to have this anxiety that if they're holding their coins on a hot wallet, they're going to want to buy a hardware wallet to improve their security? Yeah, like since the beginning, we wanted to be Trezor as affordable as possible and of course like you said there were so many limitations uh, with the price of the parts uh, in the supply chain but on the other hand uh, because we were pushed to do uh, a series of 30,000 Trezors at the beginning a lot of a lot of parts and and uh, manufacturing costs were quite low actually uh, because then around that number it starts to get really really interesting and these bulk orders are small so uh, i think we we managed to get a pretty good price uh, at that point uh, 
maybe we can remind people that we we had this uh, crowdfunding uh, in 2012 where we were selling a Trezor model one device uh, the the original one that you can still get right now for one bitcoin and there was uh, a metallic version for three bitcoins which uh, might sound a lot but back then it was around somewhere between 16 and 80 euros per, uh, per bitcoin so it was around 80 dollars for a plastic one and 250 for for a metallic one and like you said uh, it's it's quite interesting to see that for some people even 300 dollars is like no brainer they just want to want to have it uh, secure and they just buy what's what's there and what has the best features and on the other hand there are like so many price sensitive people that Uh, are trying to save uh, each dollar but in the end i think it's uh, it's not really worth the the saved money because then you have um, maybe not that great user user experience and you are you are losing in in the long-term perspective so it wasn't like we wanted to make a luxury item we wanted to make it uh, uh, as used as possible like i said uh, the the main goal for us we were uh, joking with slash is to make it possible for our moms to to secure bitcoin because they can't secure their their computers we just thought back then that there are not so many people out there we we thought there were like maybe thousand three thousand people but definitely not uh hundred thousands or, or millions how we how we see uh, it now but of course the situation has evolved since then and more and more people are seeing uh, the true reason why bitcoin is uh, getting more and more uh, important I think that at this point, every Bitcoiner has at least one Trezor in a drawer somewhere. Are you keeping count of how many devices have been sold? Do you think you have reached the million goal? Well, uh, I'm I'm not sure. Like like you said in the beginning, I don't think that every every Bitcoiner has a hardware device. Like uh, I think there are like a hundred uh, million people registered on Coinbase. So I, I wish everybody had uh, the hardware wallet like Trezor, but but they don't. Uh, so. I, I can say that we already uh, sold more than a million devices, but I can't you can't really tell uh, the actual uh, number because I don't I don't run write the numbers, but we are we are past uh, that point uh, already. And uh, I think uh, when we when we look at the whole uh, market of hardware wallets, I think we are somewhere between five and ten million uh, sold devices. So there, there is an estimate the whole Bitcoin market is somewhere between I don't know hundred two hundred uh, million people. So I think that if uh, if Bitcoin goes well, and unfortunately there are so many bad things going on in the world that I think that uh, Bitcoin will uh, get more and more traction. We will see more and more users and maybe in the following years we will have one billion uh, people using uh, Bitcoin. And if 
like 10% of them are using hardware wallets, then it's it's a huge market. We we can uh, or we should uh, try to focus on. Nowadays, it might be the marketing of some other projects that may or may not be forks of the Trezor or direct copies, but they usually present themselves as the new generation, the new tech, and everything else that came before, and usually it's Trezor, is old tech that's obsolete, and users have this impression that they need to upgrade if they want to keep up with what's being developed in security. But most of the times that's not the case, as you have proven over the years, and you deserve a lot of credit for this, because the first Trezor that you released from the hardware perspective, it's still valid. It was not fundamentally broken to the extent that you had to change it, mm-hmm. that you had to release a new model and discontinue the old one because you kept on improving the software. And usually what I tell people is that security is hard and usually it's the most tested code base or the most t- tested model that should be trusted the most as opposed to something new which comes out has good marketing but still needs to prove itself over the years ultimately what we see that it, it's the same discussion with bitcoin and lindy effects what you see that is out there and has been around for a long time and is open source and has huge incentives to get attacked, that's the best proof that you have that something is secure. So how would you comment on this idea that, you know, Trezor might be old? Because that was also the impression that I had like in 2018. Mm -hmm. I actually bought into the Ledger narrative for a while. I was anxious about the lack of a security chip and they are very efficient at explaining why, you know, hardware, security matters as compared to software. Mm -hmm. They don't do as much software development, but I'm going to let you Mm -hmm. take it from here. Yeah. You opened a lot of uh, interesting questions uh, at once. And well, from my perspective, uh, we we tried to make uh, the original Trezor as simple as dump as possible. We uh, we not inc- we have not included batteries, Bluetooth, and NFC because we wanted to to make like, make it a really good and simple product that will last for decades. And uh, we were fully aware of the fact that we can. Uh, we can improve upon the original design, like you said, by improving the software. And uh, we've seen it. Uh, the Bitcoin is also improving uh, at a very conservative rate, but it still is improving. Uh, lately, there was this taproot up- upgrade, and we were able to bring that on table as well. And I think we, with Trezor Model One, we find a pretty pretty nice sweet spot of how dump it is when it comes to uh, possibilities uh, I mean the hardware peripherals and so on and the power because uh, it was um, the, when it comes to computing power it was pretty strong at that time when you compare it to for example what what Ledger had uh, at the beginning they were running on this uh, smart card chips with had, which had so little memory so little uh, processing power and they had to do a lot of a lot of compromises to being able to run on that limited hardware and we were 
free to just skip all of that and that allowed us to create a hardware that is still being sold without any any modification basically and uh, i'm pretty glad for it of course during the years uh, we recognized that we should uh, come up with a modernized version and that's how treasure model t was born in 2018 but then again the the design is very similar we didn't introduce uh, more complexity we just uh, made uh, display bigger we introduced touch screen which might be a little bit controversial for some people but for these people who are so conservative they can't uh, trust the touch screen they can still get the older older version which has this physical buttons so uh so yeah, and I think you are really right. There are so many new products appearing on the market and everybody is claiming we are the next generation and so on. And people should really pay attention to these claims. And I'm really happy to see that on the, on the internet, on Twitter, people are doing their own research and they are saying, okay, so maybe the brand new shiniest wallet isn't the best because uh, like you indicated, there is no track record. Uh, also, there are a lot of a lot of uh, devices with no displays and no buttons being sold as a hardware wallet, and the new ones are coming. And new ones are still coming. And I don't really think this is a hardware wallet. I mean, maybe we screwed screwed up in the beginning by calling it Razor hardware wallet. Maybe it should have been called like interactive signer with a display or something. But well, it's it's called a hardware wallet. But I think we should be really careful about uh, distinguishing what are different options of uh, devices. Because then if you... If, for example, if you don't have a display or if you don't have a physical dis f button for interaction, then you are basically changing the whole security model of the device. And this is very important uh, to understand where in this security model uh, are uh, issues you need to be careful about. And uh, on the other hand, where, where are the things that you should not really care about at all because the hardware wallet does that for you. When I interviewed Slash two years ago, he mentioned something about more than a hundred clones of the Trezor existing in the Chinese and Indian markets. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely interesting that you guys are very supportive and open to the idea of people building their own and even selling it. I, I can present another example of hardware wallet manufacturers who got upset that others are copying their mm -hmm. design and selling it so they changed their licenses. I guess you understand and you have had a longer experience in the space to know why mm -hmm. it's important and why forks actually strengthen your own security and they can find something that you did not. Mm -hmm. So this, this collaborative approach is the one that pushes us forward. But how did Trezor stay in business? I mean, anyone can take the code can take the schematics and put it into a nicer enclosure, maybe produce thousands of units at scale and get a good price and sell it for a better price than the Trezor. So for example, the Keep Key, but I guess that's not a good example because it was always more expensive than the Trezor. 
But there are some clones out there that can copy exactly the Trezor. I guess if they have a couple of good coders, they can keep up with your development. But how can you still stay in business? Uh, I think we are in. We, we we have right now the luxury of being in business and in, in Bitcoin community for so long that people just recognize that we we are the OGs. And if there is uh, some Chinese clone of Trezor, they should probably don't trust it because the track record of that company is not that great. But on the other hand, I can I can imagine the scare you you. Have have if there is uh, some well VC funded company that has probably infinite amount of money pouring in that is copying your product that can be that can be really scary and uh, that also happened like for us maybe in 2015 when we were we were scared scared a lot but this uh, thing it has turned out that uh, this uh, there was there were two companies actually one of them was from china another one from was from russia and uh, fortunately they went bankrupt and but back then we didn't had this luxury uh, we were known for maybe just three years so the, the difference was not that great but but now we are in much better position since we are on in bitcoin community since 2011 it's how many it's like 10 11 years right now so that's one one thing and the other thing is that uh some of these clones are not uh, are not open as well so they are kind of i would say like bootleg copies and they are usually aimed for uh for a market uh for example like china or russia where we can't effectively deliver our devices to because because either there are ridiculously high import taxes or uh, the companies like DHL or UPS, they don't want to deliver in that particular uh, destinations. So uh, I'm not super happy about these kind of bootleg clones but at the same time it's not hurting our business very much uh, because we can't effectively um, appear on that market anyway but that's very different situation to uh, if there was like a well funded uh, western clone like for example uh, Kipki was mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what what happened there, uh, but uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately, this was not a big competition for us, and uh, they had uh, they were struggling with uh, bringing uh, their product up to speed with all our security improvements, and I think maybe people saw that as well. So uh, we were able to outcompete these clones by innovating faster and that's also nice thing about open source that it motivates you to innovate faster than than your competition because everybody sees what you are what you are doing and uh, of course by being open source uh, we are enabling a lot of people that can build their own clones or own devices and this is what i'm mostly happy about it and there are numerous guides uh, on the internet uh, there were some 
uh, uh, very specific uh, how tos on instructables and hack a day, how to build your own trezor. And I think that's also really really nice because uh, if uh, if there is a situation with uh, if if you are living in a country with high import taxes on electronics, or maybe you are just so paranoid that you don't even trust us because of our funny accent, right? You can you can you can build your own uh, device and. I know people like that that came to me at the conference and said like I never bought a Trezor but I have like 10 of them because I build my own and I'm super paranoid I'm I'm not telling who who I am but like good job and it's really really satisfying because these these people are so paranoid they wouldn't buy a hardware wallet from our competitor as well so that's not uh, hurting our business either Yeah, so it's also worth making clear that even though Trezor is mostly known as a hardware wallet company, it's more of a software company. And most of the focus is not on the hardware itself. I'm not sure if you guys produce your parts by yourselves in factories or you import them, but that's not what matters. What you're doing is to optimize it to work with your software. And when you launch improvements, they're most likely software oriented as opposed to hardware oriented. I guess that will change a bit with Tropic Square, which is another company under the Satoshi Labs umbrella. But before we get to that, let's talk about slips, which are Satoshi Labs improvement proposals. And those are standards or at least, you know, proposals that are created by Satoshi Labs to improve the Bitcoin experience, not just Trezor. And you got to like 60 or something or more. Yeah, yeah, uh, around that. So first, uh, let me talk about BIPs. Uh, BIP stands for Bitcoin Improvement Proposal, and it's uh, a way how to uh, introduce some ideas to the Bitcoin community, how to do things. Uh, and basically, they are called standards, but they are not standards per se. They are more similar to um, maybe people know RFC documents, request for comments. And And the whole internet is basically built on that kind of RFC documents. And they are de facto standards, but it's not like there is a standard organization similar to ISO, which says this is our standard. And uh, uh, the BIP process is pretty pretty nuanced and uh, it has its own rules. But at one point in history, we, we, had, a, we had an issue that we came up with uh, an idea that was not, uh, not accepted by the people running the BIPs because it was not... Uh, directly related to Bitcoin, it was more related to to Trezor or maybe how to handle private keys. And I have to agree that this, that particular improvement was out of scope for, for Bitcoin because it was more more general. So we came up with the idea to, to create our own repository of improvement proposals called uh, SLIPS, which stands for Satoshi Labs Improvement Proposals. And we started to add uh, our ideas there. Uh, we also had some external people that uh, were coming up with uh, their own ideas and they had the same issue that this idea is so generic and it's maybe more uh, like a cryptographical uh, improvement protocol than Bitcoin. So they, uh, they send it to our repository as well. And 
Well, like you said, uh, I'm, I don't know how many uh, improvements protocol uh, improvement proposals are there right now, but uh, they are being adopted by others as well. Because, uh, like I said in the in the beginning, like one of one of the key goals of open source is not uh, keep repeating uh, everything again and uh, don't reinvent yourself, and. Uh, one of one of uh, one of such things is, for example, uh, Slip 39, which is known as a Shamir secret uh, sharing s- scheme for recovery seats, and this also we felt that it's so generic. Uh, it's basically about how to split your key entropy into several pieces and this key entropy can be used for virtually everything not only for bitcoin but also for other things as well so it was like natural to have it in in our repository as well and it's it's nice to see that other hardware wallet vendors are also looking into that direction and i'm i'm not sure uh i'm not sure uh, what's the name of this uh, wallet it's called keystone wallet they already implemented yes. slip slip 49 as well so it, it's nice to be uh, to keeping innovating in that area as well and of course if if the thing becomes an open and widely used standard everybody wins because uh, as we can see in the bip 39 standard which is this recovery phrases either 12 or 24 words like literally every hardware wallet used that right now and this is a huge uh, win for the end user because if they if they for some reason decide they don't like trezor they can get another wallet and just uh, use the recovery seats to start using that right away or maybe uh, they want to go it the other way it's i think interoperability is uh, really very important for end users because we don't want to log them in uh, in this uh, in this garden how do you say it like uh, world garden old golden cage and we ultimately bitcoin is about freedom and we want to provide people this freedom Yes, so you might be a little bit too humble, but to you watching this, if you ever wrote down 12 words or 24 words in any language, he's 50% of the team that worked on implementing that. And you came up with the rules and how to pick the words and have the first three letters and have at least a certain number of words that follow after that one. So that's how you pick a word Mm -hmm. so that there is some plausible deniability and you have to guess which word could have been after typing in these. And it's not just hardware wallets that use it. It's also mobile wallets. It's also shitcoin wallets. It's also pretty much everything. And it's kind of impressive that there is something like Koinami, for example, which is a bad wallet. But I would not advise people to use it. But at the same time, you can use the same seed phrase for all of your coins in that wallet. So I suppose this also has to do with another BIP which created some interoperability and the ability to use in the beginning, it was for the Bitcoin testnet to be able to keep the same backup. I'm not, I'm not sure about the number of this BIP. 44. 44, okay. And was it made by you, that one? I think so, yeah. 
Okay, so you have a lot of contributions to the Bitcoin project, and even more recently, I saw that you did something about Schnorr or Taproot. Mm-hmm. You did some contributions and multi-sigs, and <laughs> the, there, there's a lot to mention there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm still part of doing all that crazy stuff you mentioned, but now that we have grown bigger, I have to uh, I have to give a lot of credit to my coworkers. We were able to draft uh, several great cryptographers from Charles University, and we are working working together on more uh, complex uh, standards. Uh, I mean, for more complex use cases, but at the same time, we want to make it very easy for users to use them and this Shamir secret thing is one of them so it's not like me and Slash are doing all the hard work but it's more like a group effort these days but yeah it's really rewarding to to see that your ideas are being used in the wild and for example with this BIP49 uh, uh, recovery seat I was really surprised to see that there is a there is a hardened Android uh, distribution called Graphene OS, mm-hmm. and it has uh, full disk encryption of, uh, of of your mobile phone, and uh, it will give you the BIP39 sentence for as a recovery for for uh, for your uh, full disk encryption on this Android phone. So it was really really nice uh, to see that uh, these ideas are resonating in in the community. I know that you also work on NixOS, but I'm not sure how many Bitcoiners are interested in that. I, I know a couple of them. I know Peter Todd. I know that there is Jonas Nick. Jonas Nick. Yes, he's the maintainer, I think. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff that you do. But let's talk about, so what should I ask about first? CoinJoins or Tropic Square? Uh, you, you choose the first one. Okay. So uh, first, let me let me talk about uh, the coin join. Uh, we, of course, uh, we, we recognize the the need of uh, having some kind of. Uh, privacy protection in in our software stack and uh, like for for years we were trying to to balance uh, usability and security in our products because uh, you can't really have a great security if the usability is bad because then user just don't know what they are signing right and uh, uh, we were trying to make uh, hardcore complex stuff as easy as possible for users and recently we also started to think about the the third axis where we want to expand uh, and that's privacy so we are now forming this triangle usability security privacy and we want to cover all three bases yeah we we very we, we uh, zuko's triangle is about decentralization and uh, I, I don't remember, but people can can find it. But uh, yeah, we are trying to to cover this uh, usability, security, and privacy triangle uh, in our product, and that's one of the reasons why we introduced uh, Tor in Trezor Suite. So there is a one-click button that will j- just convert your Trezor Suite connection to Tor, and uh, that of course solves only part of the problem. 
and the other part of uh, the issue is uh, uh, is uh, having some kind of uh, anonymity on blockchain and one of the promising ways uh, how to do it is to implement some kind of coin join so we were uh, we were looking at uh, solutions that are out there and thinking about uh, what to do uh, to bring uh, this kind of feature to our users and we we started to uh, to have a discussion with uh, with Wasabi wallet about how we can make this possible for for Trezor users and of course uh, it's in our best interest to be uh, interoperable uh, when it comes to hardware with other hardware wallet providers but still we we feel that it would be of great benefit if we had uh, conjoined directly in uh, our Trezor suite offering so this is something we are working on right now uh, we are looking at what uh, Wasabi team is doing right now because they are uh, going to launch uh, the second generation of their software really soon. You probably had uh, interviewed them already, and uh, I think there is a lot of lot of promise uh, in their technology. Uh, that that said, uh, they probably get a lot of flag on the from on the internet and some of the criticism is right for example this toxic change and we we spend a lot of time uh, analyzing the the new wasabi 2.0 uh, protocol whether all this uh, all these flaws were addressed in a way and i think we it's uh, shaping really nicely so i'm not giving any etas but i really hope that we will be able to announce something uh, really soon and maybe i can talk about the other topic the drop tropic square or do you want to add something to it i just want to say that it's great that you're removing the stigma from coin joins as companies usually treat them as something undesirable but on the other hand you're seeing the potential for trezor users to do it seamlessly from the interface of trezor suite so i very much appreciate that and i know that wasabi has been working very hard on their new wabi sabi implementation which is different and is more scalable as far as i can understand it takes less block space per coin join and they can improve the anonymity set as far as I understand, so I, I did run the beta version, the one that CoinJoins on the testnet. I'm not happy about certain stuff that can be changed anyway, because it has to do with user interface. But I, I hope that they get it right. Mm -hmm. They're also a sponsor of this podcast, but my comments have nothing to do with that. And I hope that they really bring fungibility to Bitcoin, as this is, I guess, the last frontier that we have to approach. And we have to do it now, or at least sooner than later, as we see all of these, you know, VCs and political figures who get involved into Bitcoin, and they come with the expectations of having everything clear and transparent. And we don't want to get to the place where you get to report, like in the case of Ethereum, you have one address, and you have everyone else watching you. And some people even register Ethereum name servers so that you can see yeah. what they have been transacting. We don't want that in Bitcoin. And it, 
for it to be good money it needs to be fungible that's one of the properties that it needs to have and privacy is a way to achieve fungibility so now let's get to Tropic Square because I was very excited since I saw the news. I wrote about three articles to write announcements about it. And basically in a nutshell, it's a way, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a way to create secure element chips in an open source and verifiable way. Right. You did not want to compromise with something like the ATEX 608, like the one that you find in the cold card or in the Bitbox 02 but you decided to build your own, which I think is a very ambitious and noble purpose. If you succeed, you're going to have a huge market because the security chip market also goes towards printers, towards ATMs. There are lots of devices that use security chips outside of hardware wallets, but I guess also other hardware wallet manufacturers are gonna buy the chips from you if you make them. So tell us more about this, because I, I'm not sure specifically what I want to ask you. Tell us more news or when you think it's coming out mm -hmm. and what kind of expectations you have from the project. diversify your Bitcoin portfolio into gold or silver when you sense that a bearish moment is coming. Also, you can instantly trade your gold for Bitcoin to buy the dip. And if you're into gold custody, Voltoro can also send you the gold that you own directly from their insured Swiss vaulting facilities. Voltoro was launched in the aftermath of the Mt. Gox hack. So since 2015, they have published monthly glass books to prove that they own all the gold reserves and all of their customers' money. Sign up today by going to voltoro.com slash Bitcoin Takeover. Keep in mind that this is not financial advice and you are responsible for your own decisions. wallet. It's free, it's open source, it's available on Windows, macOS and Linux, and it offers groundbreaking Chamian coin joins, which makes your Bitcoin. Even if you do not use the coin join feature, you still benefit from a trustless experience with block filters, a hidden IP address via Tor, and easy management of your wallet outputs. After you deal with KYC exchanges like Coinbase, like Kraken, Binance, Gemini, or Bitfinex, you can remove the association between your identity and your Bitcoin address by performing a few rounds of coin joins. 
To find out more about the privacy benefits and limitations of CoinJoins, listen to Bitcoin Takeover Podcast Season 6, Episode 6 with Max Hillbrand. And if you want to give Wasabi a try, go to wasabiwallet.io and download the wallet for free. Wasabi Wallet, a Bitcoin privacy wallet for the citadels. So about uh, Tropic Square, uh, like you said, basically it's an effort to come up with an open source secure element because there is no such thing on the market right now. And uh, during our our work on hardware design of uh, Trezor, we, we got a lot of questions like why don't you use a secure element? And we always wanted to get this element of trust from the equation by uh, trying to teach people there is this thing called passphrase which is described in BIP39 and basically it it gives you another layer of protection on top of the seeds uh, stored in in your device by adding an extra entropy in the form of words sentence whatever you come up with and if you use that, then you are basically protected from uh, from uh, any physical attack because the secret is just not stored in the device; it's stored in a in a in in your head. But uh, but still, people were asking like, can't you make a treasure with secure elements? So, of course, we were investigating that uh, area. And unfortunately, we found out that every secure element we looked into, we were able to find some critical flaw in not so long time, actually. And I was really unhappy about the situation because when we when we reported these flaws to the chief vendors, they were two kinds of reactions. Well, one of them were... One of these reactions was like, yeah, we know about the issue, but we just don't bother with fixing it. And the other reaction was like, ah, that's that's a good finding, but you can't talk about it because we have to or we want to fix it and uh, we are going to use this NDA you had to sign in order to get these chips for, uh, for you. And I was not really happy about the situation and ultimately we decided not to use any secure elements into our products because one of the reasons uh, why we are open source is that we can remove ourselves from the whole equation and if if we used a chip like that, that I know something about the chip that my uh, customers or our users don't know it, that I'm still kind of in the middle of this equation. I can't take myself out. So, so one of the basic principles is I don't want to have this information edge over my users. I don't want to know more than my my users. And we realized that the only way and it probably will be a very hard way is to come up with our own secure element. And we were we were thinking about how to do it. We were discussing with uh, with several companies here in the Czech Republic. 
and they were just not getting it like why do you want to make open source chip like everybody will copy you and we were like we know but it's not, not the point like we have this agenda and nobody was getting the idea and finally uh, it was two years ago it clicked uh, I already mentioned uh, Evgen Engelbert that pushed us to do this 40,000 uh, batch of treasures in, in the beginning he was uh, looking for a job and at the same time we had this uh, uh, ASIC designer uh, from originally from the Czech Republic and he moved with the whole family to London and then he was coming back to the Czech Republic because of the Brexit and he was also looking for a job and uh, his name is Honza Pleskac and suddenly it was it just felt we are in the really good point of time where we can start actually working on it because we have the the, the experience that Evgen brought uh, from the sales and marketing and product perspective and uh, Honza who brought this uh, ASIC experience and we just started to give them all these crazy ideas uh, what we want to achieve and they were really uh, uh, happy about uh, about working on that uh, plan actually so the grand master plan right now is to create first create a chip that will be like a secure storage, like a, like a secure box where you store your secret. And if you give uh, the box the right pin, then this uh, secret will be given back to you. So this is similar to how Bitbox or Cold Card are using their own secure element. They, uh, they can't run their own code on the secure element, it's just this secure, secure storage. And uh, once we have mastered this uh, this chip, we want to create the second generation of the chip, which will be like fully programmable chip, uh, basically replacing the chip we have right now in Trezor. Because f with the first generation of Tropic chip, you would still need to have this chip we have in Trezor and the open source uh, Tropic chip. For the second uh, generation of Tropic Square chip, this will be just one chip containing both functionality. But first thing first, we have to uh, first evaluate the feasibility of the first chip. And we are now in talks with uh, lots of uh, lots of partners lots of vendors lots of security companies universities and i'm really happy to say that uh, I was a little bit skeptical at the beginning because it seemed that nobody really gives a shit about that but actually it turned out the opposite is uh, true and there are a lot of lot of people that want to make this thing a, re a reality not only on the engineering side of big uh, chip corporations but also like we said uh, at, at uh, universities or there are these specialized companies who really want to uh, spend their time on making open source chip but there was just no customer for them so they had to do this rather boring commercial ASIC uh, super secret uh, things. So 
we were able to get all these people on board uh, have a lot of the, a lot of discussions a lot of uh, designs flying back and forth and right now we are in position that uh, since we are open source we were selected to a program where uh, you can mm, th th there is this <clears throat> let me start from the other side there there is this uh, Uh, there is this foundry which is making the chips uh, which entered uh, an agreement with Google that Google will pay for the manufacturing costs for projects that are open source that want to make their own chip. So we entered that program and basically right now in a, we are in a position where we can send the manufacturing materials to that foundry google will pay for manufacturing and we will get this wafer that is maybe i don't know 20 25 30 centimeters in size which will contain around 1000 chips and we can just play with them play with them test whether they are doing what they are supposed to do and uh There, this will happen in May, and then there is another round of the same thing happening in November. So if everything goes well, we will have two test runs for free uh, in this foundry. And then the next year, hopefully when everything goes well with these two test runs, we can uh, approach the, how to say, like the final production Uh, of the chip, which then we will can uh, uh, test uh, not only for us, but uh, I also talked with uh, Charles from Ledger. Like you seem to like breaking chips, so we should you know talk together. We will give you our chip. You can have a look at it. So they are pretty fond of that idea as well. So. I think everybody kind of understands that this effort is important and they want to be at least part of it. And I'm really hoping forward to to see the results. And as I said, I'm really surprised that we were able to to gain so many uh, clever people working on the project. So according to your timeline and description, you don't think there's going to be a Trezor hardware, hardware wallet which uses the new chip that gets launched this year, as you're going to require testing. So first of all, it's going to be in May, and then there's the second batch in November. Mm -hmm. And after the results come out, you might go into manufacturing, you know, for the Trezor. Right. And I'm not even sure if you have a design to put that chip inside of a Trezor? Or did you work on a new design that's going to integrate that chip? Mm -hmm. Do you have prototypes or something? Well, it's not that hard to integrate the chip into Trezor because it's it's really small. So when, when the chip is uh, done, we can just modify the design of Trezor very, very easily. It's it's really small and it's pretty standard. We we wanted to make the chip uh, very easy for others to integrate as well. So it's pretty straightforward. But like you said, uh, this year is dedicated to these test runs and last, uh, sorry, the next year, 2023, will be dedicated to the production runs of the chip. Right, so what else is exciting and going on at Satoshi Labs? You have the Trezor, 
you have Invity, which is like a gateway to buy Bitcoin from your Trezor. You have also Tropic Square. You have some research that you do with slips. So is there anything else that you can talk about at this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we recognize the need that people people really need easy access to to bitcoins in uh, non KYC way because of course you can you can use some exchanges but uh, it's getting harder and harder uh, to obey these rules uh, there are some banks that are asking just ridiculous questions uh, and we are trying to figure out the way how to do it in uh, in a way that's most uh, acceptable for everybody and like you said uh, we have uh, this another company called Inuity so Satoshi Labs consists of three companies Trezor Tropic Square and Inuity and Inuity is this uh, financial uh, on ramp that tries to um, to to get Bitcoin more accessible to people, but so far the environment in the European Union is just not so great that uh, it's very hard to get uh, it without KYC. So we are still trying to find some ways how to how to make it possible. In uh, in the US, the situation is much easier. Uh, me and Inuity announced the integration with uh, Swan Bitcoin uh, in Miami. So I don't know exactly what the, what the limits are there, but I was told that it's uh, much uh, the, the the regulations there are much less strict and then in the EU. And yeah, I think uh, we'd like to maybe find a way or find some tools create some tools for people that will make it possible for them to start uh, exchanging uh, coins uh, for fiat uh, in a peer-to-peer way i mean there is there is always bisque uh, I, I like BISC. I, I find it a little bit too complicated for for common people, but we are also looking into that direction. Like, is that something we should integrate into Trezor? I mean, if if there are some ideas uh, out there how we can make it easier for people uh, in Europe to to swap bitcoins with fiat in a peer-to-peer way so nobody knows that's happening then just let us know and we will probably deliver something like that I'm not sure if that was a hint or like a job application announcement but you should contact him if you can find any good way to sell bitcoin peer-to-peer in Europe so yeah, I'm not sure if I have any more questions at this time. You can tell people how they can follow you and look at Satoshi Labs projects. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter uh, at uh, Pavel Rusnak, or you can just write me an email stick at satoshilabs.com uh, if you feel that you want to, you know, write a long, longer form uh, text. And of course, uh, check out our website at satoshilabs.com, and there are links to these companies Trezor.io, Inuity.io, and of course TropicSquare.com. Okay, thank you very much, and really, it's been an honor to interview in person. Thank you very much, Vlad. 
Voltoro is the exchange where you deal with honest and hard money. There is no fiat on-ramp or off-ramp and you get to diversify your Bitcoin portfolio into gold or silver when you sense that a bearish moment is coming. Also, you can instantly trade your gold for Bitcoin to buy the dip. And if you're into gold custody, Voltoro can also send you the gold that you own directly from their insured Swiss vaulting facilities. Voltoro was launched in the aftermath of the Mt. Gox hack. So since 2015, they have published monthly glass books to prove that they own all the gold reserves and all of their customers' money. Sign up today by going to voltoro.com slash Bitcoin Takeover. Keep in mind that this is not financial advice and you are responsible for your own decisions. Wasabi Wallet is the perfect Bitcoin privacy wallet. It's free, it's open source, it's available on Windows, macOS, and Linux, and it offers groundbreaking Chamian coin joins, which makes your Bitcoin. Even if you do not use the coin join feature, you still benefit from a trustless experience with block filters, a hidden IP address via Tor, and easy management of your wallet outputs. After you deal with KYC exchanges like Coinbase, like Kraken, Binance, Gemini, or Bitfinex, you can remove the association between your identity and your Bitcoin address by performing a few rounds of coin joins. To find out more about the privacy benefits and limitations of coin joins, listen to Bitcoin Takeover Podcast Season 6, Episode 6 with Max Hillbrand. And if you want to give Wasabi a try, go to wasabiwallet.io and download the wallet for free. Wasabi Wallet, a Bitcoin privacy wallet for the citadels.